Hey, welcome to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show, the proud partner of HuskerHype.com. Justin here along with the cousins, Derek and Tyler. We have more roster updates since last episode to get into. Derek, tell us about the news with Noah Vedral. Noah Vedral is now on scholarship, just like I said he would be. Justin, you told me there was no way in hell this guy was going to get a scholarship, and they're going to give him one this summer. I don't think those were my exact words. I just didn't think that it would happen. And further... I question the fact that it did happen at this time. I don't want to crap on the guy or anything because I don't know him, but you know, if you look at him, he's a low three-star kid with uh, offers from Ohio, Central Florida, Air Force, and Navy, and then a whole bunch of FCS schools. I don't know why he's getting a scholarship above, say, Andrew Bunch. Uh, Andrew Bunch certainly looked like the better quarterback out of the two walk-ons between him and Noah Vedral. Uh, you heard more about Andrew Bunch in the spring about all the great things that he's doing. And then what did you hear about Noah Vedral? He's a really good at coaching the other players, explaining the offense to uh, the other quarterbacks. That was the main storyline when it came to Noah Vedral. And now he gets a scholarship over Andrew Bunch. I just think there's probably other walk-ons that are more deserving. And we didn't see much of Noah Vedral in the spring game in, in anything meaningful. He played along with the Whites with Andrew Bunch. Andrew Bunch did a, an awesome job. Noah Vedral, not so much. Derek? But it was also known that he wasn't taking a lot of snaps throughout spring because they knew that he was going to be ineligible to play next year. So I don't think he was, he was probably a little rusty in that spring game. So I think it's hard to judge him off of one practice that we watched. We don't know what he did outside of that. And we don't know how much actual playing time he got during the spring because they know he's going to be sitting out next year. Well, the coaches said that they were splitting the reps between the guys unless they're just you know full of it. And for a guy that is so familiar with the offense, it looked like he certainly struggled uh, with playing – when he was playing in the spring game with the offense. Tyler, get in here. I, you know, Justin, I tend to agree with you. I, I'm a little surprised by this move. And it's not because he's not deserving or where he's at. It's just I don't see him being a contributor next year. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen the coaches maybe wait till fall ball and kind of reward the guys that are going to contribute. Um you know, that have been walk-ons. I mean, it, it's all powers to him. I mean, maybe he's going to be a player. Maybe he would have eventually gone on scholarship. But I, I just think that you look at a guy who's not going to contribute this year, and there could be people that are walk-ons ahead of him that are going to. Well, I, th- I think they uh, are opening up some more uh, scholarships for other walk-ons. And I, 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 this is what I, I think this is what I said when we talked about Noah Vedral coming here, is I think that was probably part of the deal with him coming here as a walk-on, was that they would probably give him a, a scholarship as soon as they were available to do so. Let me ask you, Derek, do you think it's more deserving? Uh, who's more deserving of a scholarship, uh, Andrew Bunch or Noah Vedral? Well, the only thing I have to base it off of is a spring game, and if I'm going to base it off that, I would say Andrew Bunch. And then, 
and all the stuff that we heard from Spring coming out of the Spring, it was all Andrew Bunch. But there's there may be there, right now we're at eighty four scholarships, so I mean there may be a spot open for Andrew Bunch already. We don't know. Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'd really Scott question. Fr- Scott, Frost Scott Frost wants five scholarship doing. quarterbacks on his roster. Yeah, but not all with sophomore or less eligibility, right? No, I think you're going after graduate transfer if that's what you're trying to go after. They passed well, Joe Burrows, so. Well, I think we don't, what I, we don't know I, the whole I, story, but I think that there is. Again, I, I I'm surprised by the move. I think that what does it hurt to go into fall ball and wait? And if Noah is deserving, then all power to him. If he is one of the top non-scholarship players at the end, do it. I just think that you are. There, there's a lot of kids on this roster that don't have scholarships that could be bigger factors come the fall than Noah. And, and Derek, you might be right. I hope I mean, we can't say that out loud because I'm pretty sure that's uh, probably illegal for him to say, yeah, come here. We'll give you a scholarship once we cut players. But, uh, but the, you know, they're, they're, I don't know. Maybe I don't think it was a matter of cutting players. It was a matter of we weren't allowed to give him a scholarship until US, UCF uh, released him from his scholarship there. I also thought it was interesting of the timing of it. He announced it when we were still above the 85 scholarship limit, which brings us to uh, two other guys. Uh, we have a couple of guys leaving the team, one of which is a real shock to me. Tyler, tell us about that. Well, I, I think the guy that you're shocked on is Michael Decker. And and th- if you've been following him uh, on the message boards and some of the rumors, this, this isn't a news story. There have been talks of this. Um, that might be why Tanner Farmer went to center is they think theirs is coming, but it's a shock in the thought that you really thought this guy had a very good shot to win that center position come the fall. Um, you know, our, you know, he's a young kid and I wish him all the best, but he is just deciding to step away from the game of football right now. Um, you know, he's not passionate. And I think at that level, if you're not a hundred percent committed, there is no choice. We saw this with Greg McMullen a few years back. I think we, it, it's, probably the best thing for him and all the power to him for making that decision well don't forget the fact that he has been injury plagued since he's been here too and i i imagine that's probably factoring in because he's trying to look to his future and what he's going to do and the thought of being hurt all the time probably is not something he wants to do an offensive lineman is a tough position to play i mean if you're you're getting hit all the time so i mean i get it yeah you know, best of luck to him in the future. You know, I'll miss him there on the offensive line. I thought he was a pretty darn good center, and I was looking forward to having him up there anchoring that uh, that offensive line. Uh, who's the other guy, Tyler? Uh, Andrew Ward. Uh, Andrew Ward was an inside linebacker. Uh, he was a three-star coming out of high school from Michigan. Um, you know, he, he didn't come to Nebraska with the most fanfare, but I think if you looked at his tape up, there was a little bit of things to be excited about. Uh, you know, he, he has decided to transfer, go find a different option, you know, and again, I think that that was a move that maybe where he was on the depth chart probably had a little bit to play with it. Um, but he, he was very gracious and, uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, where he ends up. I think I think the depth chart had everything to do with it. He was look. He appeared to be getting just buried on the depth chart. 
So I don't know why stick around. I mean, he's still young, so I guess you could always hope for a good junior senior year, maybe. But you you say that, but the thing with him on the depth chart is you're, you're right. He was buried. I don't think any of us had him in our you know our two deep. Um, he probably would have been our three deep. And you look at the seniors. There's a lot of upperclassmen at that inside linebacker. He could have been going into next year with a shot to be in that two deep. You know, if he competes. You know, we don't, we've heard mixed reviews on Avery Roberts. You know, this is a guy that could have got some playing time on special teams this year and been a factor next year on the, the uh, inside linebacker position. So, you know, I, I think this year is not going to be a big factor, but it is a uh, something that we're going to have to keep an eye on for that inside linebacker depth as this recruiting class develops. I haven't heard where he may go, but I would not be shocked if he ends up at Oregon State with uh, Trent Bray. Would not be shocked one bit. So that's where he ends up. Uh, so moving on, Scott Frost was on ESPN 590 in Omaha last week, and he said that, I quote, we're going to be better this year. Then he went on to say that by year two, Nebraska will be, in quotes, really dangerous. So I want to ask you guys, what does really dangerous mean to you, Derek? Oh, really dangerous to me means... Scott Frost is not doing a good job of tapering expectations. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like he's expecting to probably at least play for a conference title, maybe. I mean, or at least at least be in that conversation. Yeah. Tyler? Yeah, I agree. I think, Derek, that was a very wise thing you said there. So you must not be drinking too much because I, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> Playoffs are what he's got to be talking about. I think, you know, if that's realistic expectations, I don't know for year two, but obviously the guy just came off an undefeated season. You know, he, he if he's saying really dangerous, he's thinking that he's got a team in a couple of years that can really compete. Yeah, I'm excited for what it is. And if you look at the schedule, we'll early do it. That 2019 schedule really uh, sets up nicely. To be really dangerous, you can. Uh, there's a lot of games that work out in your favor uh, at home, and then with uh, an experienced quarterback, which he does not have right now, that bodes well for him. And God, we got we got loads of young talent. Let them sit uh, in the system for a full year and a half before next season. I'm excited for that. I don't I don't know about how excited I am. You know, we're going to be better this year. He didn't really say, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe I'm just making, reading too much into it. Better this year is in four and eight, you know, better than four and eight. Derek. I, I think the only problem with that is, you know, like I said, you got to taper expectations as a first year coach, especially coaching a four and eight team. And I, we need to focus on this season, not worry about what next season is going to be. Now, right now, I think he's got half the fan base looking forward to next season. We haven't even played a game under this coach yet. Like, Let's let's uh, worry about this season and try and focus on that before we start talking about what we're going to do next season. And then if we do end up winning, you know, seven or eight games this year, what are the expectations going to be next year with, for the fans? Are they all going to sit here and go, "Oh man, we're going we're going to win the Big Ten West now because we improved that much and he did it at UCF"? So there, there's only one expectation now. Well, there. Uh, Derek, to your point, my expectation for year two is that we are competing for the Big Ten West. Now, Scott Frost, when he says that, that's not what I'm hearing is competing for a divisional title. I'm hearing 
conference title. And I think that roster is still going to be a couple years away at that point for really having a shot to do that. But I, I think that Nebraska fans should be thinking year two with that schedule and this coach. Yeah, we should be a nine win team, nine, 10 win team competing for the West. And if, if not, I'm not ready to throw stones at the man, but I would be a little bit disappointed if we're a seven-win team in year two. So you think nine wins is really dangerous? No, I don't. I think that is dangerous to win the West. Because if you look at the West, besides Wisconsin, there aren't many teams getting to ten wins. So I, you go nine and nine, ten wins, you get Wisconsin at home that year, you beat them. Yeah, I think that that's a very good shot to win the West. Now, I'm not looking at that as very dangerous, as he said in quotes, but I, I think that is realistic expectations to compete for the West next in two years. Okay. Well, uh, looking at uh, 2018, we're starting to see some college football week one lines come out, and according to Odds Shark, Nebraska opened up as a 17-point favorite over Akron. That line has moved to 20 and a half at bet online. Tyler, do you see this as a good line? Well, I think it's a pretty close line. I mean, I, I, I think Scott Frost against a team like Akron with the speed and the athletic advantage, he's going to get the most out of the talent. I think we should be able to be a three touchdown favorite in that game. Now, I don't know which way I'd bet on that, but that's the definition of a pretty good line that it, it's going to be probably a pretty even matchup. Um, I think they got it right. I think I look at it as being a pretty big favorite early in the year. Derek? I, that, that one surprised me a little bit. I think that's a little high myself. Hey, it's going to be tough to expect these guys to come out and just beat a team by three touchdowns when we are changing schemes on both offense and defense. Uh, there's so many question marks. We don't have a proven quarterback. We, I mean, we don't have a quarterback that's thrown a college pass yet. And to think that we're just going to come out and beat any team by three touchdowns right now, I think is a little stretch. I think we need to see a little more of what they're going to do on the field before you start favoring them by that much. Don't you think that this is the easiest team on the schedule? Probably. But there's so many question marks. I, you know, uh, Akron, you know, they they ended the year okay in the MAC. You know, they end up playing the cha- the championship. They got beat, and then they got drugged by uh, Florida Atlantic in their bowl game, fifty to three. They lose a lot. Uh, people headed this year, they're not projected. I've seen the projections like they'd be like fifth or uh, fifth in their division in the MAC. Yeah, but if, and, you're gonna, if you're going to look at that, don't you have to look at Nebraska going four and eight last year? True, true. I, I get it, but uh, as Akron, Akron's never a world beater, and so I would probably be worried about Nebraska's 2018 season if we didn't beat Akron by three touchdowns. If uh, if we skate by, kind of like uh, last year against uh, Arkansas State. And uh, everyone's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They're a really good team. You know, they had a great team last year. And I just think three touchdowns is about right to win by. Am I wrong, Tyler? 
I don't, I don't know if you're wrong about what we should do, but I think you're wrong to say worry. Um, you know, if we beat them, all the uh, Arkansas State, where it's not impressive. I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet. I'm kind of a wait and see guy. If we don't beat Arkansas by more than a touchdown, or I'm sorry, Akron by more than a touchdown, a I win's mean, a win. I, I, I think Derek's point. I think this team could get bigger, better, but. Yeah, I'm not going to hit the panic button on this season after one game. I mean, that's what you do, Justin. You overreact oh, yeah. on every damn thing. If well, we beat if we beat Akron by 35, Justin thinks we're going undefeated. Quote this, if, it's going to happen the week after. <laughs> Justin's going, this team looks good. We're going to win 11 games. If we beat Akron by a touchdown, we're going to lose the rest of our games. I mean, that that's what you will do after that episode. I will tell all of our fans this right now. If we only win by a touchdown, according to Justin, you just won't quit watching the season because we're going to lose so many games. It's going to be pathetic. Well, I don't. You guys are putting words in my mouth there, obviously. But I mean, we know there you. Is, we know there you. is going to be concern. And I've, if you guys I've are okay to you with once that, or twice about stuff like this. Oh, I think you guys are outrageous. You guys are crazy. If if we win week one. By seven or less points, you guys, oh, yeah, well, it's just week one. Akron, that's a good team right there, you know? It's, it's kind of funny because you've changed your argument from last night. Last night is if we didn't win by more than 13 points, it was we were going to be terrible all, all season. And now it's just by a touchdown or less. No, even 13 points, I think it would be kind of like, ooh, 13-point win over Akron? I'm not sure about that. I'm just, I'm just dropping it down to, like, Arkansas State levels from last year. And the writing was on the – ball right there the that was the beginning of the the end for mike riley it was that terrible win and terrible defense under diaco but i digress no, I, that wasn't the end the end was uh, minnesota most likely and either that or maybe even northern illinois i don't think arkansas yeah. state really had anything to do with him losing his job but it was the beginning of the end he started off the year shitty <laughs> he started off his career shitty in nebraska so <laughs> Anyway, uh, poor Mike Riley. Yeah, yeah. Well, he can enjoy Andrew Ward there at Oregon State. I don't have much sympathy uh, for him, so screw screw Mike Riley. Go play at Oregon State. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, in recent weeks, we've had a trend on our discussions, such as which players will be the toughest to replace and uh, which position coaches will be facing the toughest challenges in 2018. This week, we're going to continue that trend, and we're going to take a look at which Husker head coach faced or faces the biggest challenge headed into their first year. So, Derek, you first. Oh, man. I, You know, I, I think we've talked about this, and this was probably the biggest problem with having this conversation. I think you could probably make an argument for any of them. But I kind of looked at what the schedule was coming in. I looked at the rosters a little bit. Uh it's it's hard to not go with Frank Solich, I think. With all the expectations, the expectations were just unachievable. Like Nobody was going to do what Tom Osborne did. Uh, he played four top 25 teams, two top two of them were top 10 teams. Uh, he had a very tough schedule. I mean, he had a lot of talent, but it was young talent. A lot of freshmen. I mean, there were some seniors, uh, juniors and seniors on there that were really good players. But at the end of the day, you had a very young team and a very tough schedule to come into with with expectations that will probably never be matched again as to what they were. Thoughts, Tyler? 
Well, I, I agree with you on the expectations thing. I, I definitely do. Um, I think that was a huge downfall of Frank Solich. He was never going to win. I've said this about the Alabama job. The day Nick Saban leaves, um, that becomes not an attractive job because that expectation is you cannot win. Um, where I disagree, I think that that roster was pretty loaded at that point. Um, you know, he walked into this that job with a really good team with a system that fit what he was going to implement. He knew the players. He knew everything. I, I think that he he wouldn't be the guy I'd look at. The guy I'd look at would be actually Bill Callahan. And I, I am not a Bill Callahan fan, but you look at what he walked into. Um, the three recruiting classes before Bill Callahan were 35th, 35th, and 39th. No head coach since recruiting rankings have been established, walked into a worse recruiting class situation. Um, I also look at what he was looking at for as far as system. He had to completely overhaul that system going from a triple option to a pro style. Um, I think that was even a harder move than Mike Riley had to do going from the spread to a pro style. Um, I think that was a very hard change and transition. Um, the, the guy recruited really well out the gates, um, but the job still had a lot of expectations. I mean, we were in the national championship a couple of years before. I think he had high expectations, bad talent, and had to do a lot of overturn in the staff. I'm not a big Bill Callahan guy, so I don't think he was ever the man for the job, but I, I just think that guy had such an uphill battle that he was never going to succeed. Thoughts, Derek? Uh, I, I kind of agreed with you, especially when, you, when you're looking at uh, the quarterback situation. I mean, he had to play Joe Daly because we had nobody else. And Joe no. Daly may have been a good option quarterback. We don't really know for sure, but he was not going to be a pro-style offense or a West Coast offense or Corn Coast offense or whatever the hell you want to call it. The only thing that helped me back really from uh, saying Callahan as he, the only team he faced that was ranked in the top 25 that whole season was number two, Oklahoma. Like, that was the only top 25 team you beat. You had probably the easiest schedule out of anybody coming in. And you ended up going five and six, I think, that year. Yeah. Uh, Derek, I think you're right. You, you said it best in the beginning when you said all these coaches faced their own challenges. They all had unique set of challenges headed in. And as I was looking at all, at all these coaches, uh, I'm going to throw this name out there because I just think it's it's fascinating. I'm going to mention Tom Osborne uh, taking over for Bob Devaney. Uh, you know, when he came in, he was a 36-year-old offensive coordinator following Devaney, who went 42-4-2 and two in the previous four years with two national titles. Uh, he had replaced 10 draft picks, and then in his very first year, he faced seven teams in the top 20. Seven teams in the top 20 in his first year. And he went 9-2-1. and one. So I want to ask you guys this, because I thought this was interesting as hell. When's, when is the last time that the Nebraska Cornhuskers faced seven top 20 opponents? Or seven top 25 opponents in one year? Yeah. You, do you have an answer to that, Justin? Because that trivia question, I ain't going to get it. <laughs> that was the only year. That was the only, that was year. The only year. Yeah. That is but, amazing. 
But but don't you think that there is an at, and, and I, Justin, I agree with you. With you know that schedule was is obviously a brutal schedule, and the expectations were high. Talent's a little bit harder to evaluate back then about what we had. But don't you think there was an advantage that the fact that when Osborne took over, all the coaching staff from uh, Devaney was still around, and he, yeah, he Defa- walked. Devaney was yeah. Devaney was still around because he was athletic director. He well, exactly. Was, like yeah. I mean, he he had an infrastructure really set up for success. Um, my the guy I went with, Bill Callahan, had Steve Peterson as his athletic director. And as much as like we like the bag on I course, I think Peterson is definitely a worse AD than I course was. Uh, I mean, neither are going to be known as tenure, but I mean, the infrastructure around uh, Callahan was really poor at that time um, with very high expectations still. Again, I think you guys are overlooking what these guys walked into talent. And that's where with Frank Solich and Tom Osborne, I can't quite go with them because they were basically, well, not basically, they were replacing national championship caliber teams. Um, I mean, that, that, that from an expectation standpoint, yes, it's hard. It makes the job probably not ideal, but that was a different time expectate you know you got a few more years than you would today um with expectations but i just think those rosters were so stacked with talent that i i can't go with one of those two guys as my top guy so who would be your number two guy tyler my number two would be mike riley um i think he the him replacing bo pelini in the fashion that bo pelini was fired in a kind of a controversial firing when he really sandbagged him on the way out by going to the locker room and, you know, you know, just downgrading this whole university, you know, Polini, you know, his last couple of years before he left, he wasn't bringing in the greatest uh, talent. You know, he had, the th- he had two classes in the thirties. Um, and, and, and the other thing was the fans, the fans were divided on him day one. He, he was yeah. never given a chance to succeed. And he, Ultimately, he proved a lot of the fans correct. Right? Besides Tom Osborne, <laughs> Frank Solich didn't succeed. Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, none of these guys have succeeded except Osborne. Yeah, that's true. I, I would uh, argue that Solich did succeed to an extent. I mean, maybe not to not not to the Tom Osborne extent, obviously. But he's the last one. He's the last coach we've had that's won a conference title. He's the last coach that we've had that's taken us to a national title. Uh, yeah. So I would I would I would say he was successful, just not as successful as Tom Osborne. If that's if that's what your expectation is, you're right, he wasn't successful. But at the end of the day, to say he wasn't successful, I don't think is fair. The thing about Mike Riley is he was he came into like the second easiest schedule we've ever had that we've had in numerous years. Yeah. I, I guess we faced I mean, two top twenty five teams. That's it. Okay. That's fair. I guess when you guys are looking at this, you're just looking at, okay, what what are they going to face that very first year? And and I guess, to me, when I look at a coach taking over a job, that first year schedule does matter. Obviously, it does. Frost has a brutal one this year. He could be in the contention that. But I think that you look at the first couple of years, what the they would be facing. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the second year schedule for Riley wasn't exactly a world beater either, but I, I just think that you look at what all the expectations, you look at the talent, you look at what they have to overhaul and change from a culture standpoint. Um, that's where I go. I mean, again, I, I 
kind of gave Eichhorst a backhand compliment, but he was still garbage. I mean, there was a lot of cultural things he was trying to overcome. Yeah. If you want I, I my number that. two, Justin, it was Scott Frost easily. Yeah. That, that I was, almost put him as my number one. I really did. Because you want to talk about trying to change a culture and trying to develop. I mean, he's got the, probably the most underdeveloped talent of any coach coming in. That's fair. But he, but he, Frost, the, my, my thing on Frost, and, and I agree, you know, I looked at Frost, he, he was my third for what it's worth, but I, I think the schedule's brutal year one for him. Um, the, you know, the talent's okay. But the thing that made me kind of like, okay, Frost isn't that guy, is what he has as far as fanfare. The, the, there's a, there hasn't been a guy taken over for Nebraska probably in our history Tom Osborne, Devaney, Solich, whoever you want to name, that is probably more loved by the fans day one. I mean, well, he, Osborne was pretty was. well loved coming in after the Cowboys. Yeah, Pliny was. But you not, can talk about how Frost. much everybody hated him by the time he left, but when he came in, there was really nobody else Tom Osborne could have gone after that the fans wouldn't, wouldn't have been pissed about. I, I agree. I mean, he was, but not to the level of Frost. I mean, Maybe not. Frost, but it was we, we were campaigning – we were campaigning for Frost about four weeks into the season. Pelini, yeah, towards the end, we wanted him when that job came open. But, I mean, it wasn't like there, there we had were, our expectations on Frost. There were so many people that, that levied for Bo Pelini from the time Bill Callahan got hired. Like, people, they're, they're, the only reason they thought he brought him in as a defensive coordinator is because they thought he was going to be sold as a replacement. Well, you could say the same thing about Frost. I mean, people, when Riley was hired, there were a lot of people looking at Frost for that job, too. I mean, he, he was kind of that guy. It was the exact same situation, except except Scott Frost has got a national championship ring. Bo Pelini didn't at Nebraska. I think that that is the difference between the two. The, I, I, I think Frost is clearly, day one, the most loved coach Nebraska has had. Pelini might be second. Pelini very possibly could be second. I think him and Solich probably coin flip for number two, but um, but I, I just I think I, 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 that, I would say definitely Pelini over Solich. I don't think there were a lot, there were a lot of fans that didn't seem like they were real happy about Osborne handpicking Solich, if I remember correctly. But that was a long time ago, and I was I've had a lot of beer since then, so <laughs> I don't remember it that way. I think I thought it was kind of like hey. Tom Osborne selected him, so he's got to be the guy. He's the chosen one. I don't think anybody was out there saying, why did they pick this guy? Was there? Maybe not to I that mean, extent, but I don't know if people were like, overly excited. Somebody like, oh, my God, memory. we got we got Frank Solitz coaching us next year. I mean, I think we, people we're accepted him. Gone, I think so people were willing to go, yeah, this is Tom Osborne's guy, so he's probably going to be good. Well, but I don't, but I don't know if you could sit back and go, oh, the fans were going – when Osborne retires, I hope we go get Frank Solis to, to take over. Well, I hope some of our older listeners that remember it better than we do tell us if we're wrong on what what how was Frank Solis received when he came in. But uh, anyway, we got to move on. It's time for so, our favorite. Wait, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. So Bill Callahan, my number one. You guys, you think you walked into a good situation because I think yeah. clearly the guy that walked in the best. Was Bo Pelini? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I just, I, th- I think that he's probably the second most under underdeveloped players that he had to, that he had to deal with, and he put, he faced 
three top ten teams, two of which were top five teams. He had a so he had a tough schedule. His talent was well underdeveloped as well. I, I don't think he walked into some golden situation like you guys make it seem like he did. I, I mean he he walked into with some pretty damn good talent. But it was all underdeveloped. I, yeah, but I think that to a degree, anytime I think Callahan walked into underdeveloped talent, I think Riley, I mean, the fact that these coaches got fired kind of said, maybe not to the same degree, all of these rosters have been underdeveloped by the coaches fired. And I mean, I, also I, I, just, wanna, I don't, I don't I think Riley walked into there. underdeveloped talent. I think he walked into a talent that did not want to play for him, that didn't want to buy into his system. But I don't think he walked into underdeveloped talent. He walked I into a talent I definitely that wouldn't gave, say he, Solich walked into underdeveloped talent. He, he, he walked into talent that gave up 400 yards rushing to one running back in a game. Okay, that's the talent that he walked into. I want to say this about Polini. Polini's best years was with Bill Callahan's talent. Once he was coaching all of his own talent, he went to shit. You could say, he the, went same, to you could say the same thing about Solich, too. Okay. All, all of his that's best fair. years were with, with Osborne's players. Yeah. Mike yeah, Riley fair. never had a good year, so. The second year wasn't bad. His second year was about the same as Bo Pelini's best year. No, his second year was as good as Bo Pelini's worst year. Well, all, 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 all Bo Pelini's years basically were the exact same. Bo, they Pelini, were blown at least, out. Bo Pelini played for three conference titles. He may not have won one, but he at least played for three. Mike Riley was never going to get us to a conference title. Ever. He wasn't going to play for one. He wasn't going to do shit. Bo Pliny was always going to get you nine wins. He was going to get you blown out of two games, and he was going to lose a game that he shouldn't. Yeah, true. Every year. And, and, and again, I, I'm not going to argue who was a better coach because I think it's obvious it was Bo Pliny. But I think the yeah. fact that you, you were saying that Bo Pliny had a really developed roster when Mike Riley walked in is not remembering that history correctly. Because I think I, that I roster... I think it was better developed than had, what he walked into. He walked into a 5-7 and seven team. A, a bunch of players who, who have admitted they didn't care that in 2007 because they gave up. Yeah, when we interviewed Brian Wilson, he kind of alluded to the fact that in 2007... You know, players just kind of quit on uh, Bill Callahan. So, uh, yeah, I so mean, I, I think he definitely did, did walked into a probably a worse scenario than Mike Riley did. I really didn't expect this much back and forth for the segment, but we have to move on, guys. <laughs> it is time for our last call segment, everybody's favorite segment, where anything goes, no topics are off limits. Last call to you, Tyler. So, in the last couple days, Nebraska coaches were out visiting Jaden Daniels. Uh, Jaden Daniels is the number two dual threat quarterback in the country, number eighty-eight, number eighty overall prospect out of San Bernardino, California. Um, and, and I am thrilled. We made his top eight. Um, but the reason why this is my last call is not only did I want to mention that he's a name to look out for. There is a lot of Husker chatter out there that. Should we take a quarterback this cycle? 
And there's a lot of mixed thoughts on that. And I, guys, I got to tell you, I think it would be a big mistake if we don't land a quarterback. Um, you know, we, we have three scholarship quarterbacks right now. We have Andrew Bunch, who could be a scholarship quarterback. But I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not confident. I think with a lot of these guys, I think we need to get a quarterback in this class for the future to at least push Adrian Martinez and Jebbia as we move forward. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do you not go after a scholarship play, uh, quarterback when you have come out and said you want five scholarship quarterbacks on this roster? How do you not pick one up? Now, I will, I will agree with this. I think five scholarship player or five scholarship quarterbacks is probably a bit much when you could use that for a different position. But I think if that's what he's after, then yeah, you definitely have to go after a quarterback this this recruiting season. Absolutely. If he's if he is that highly touted as a quarterback, you pull the trigger, you offer, and you see if you can get that guy. It's not like you know offering a low three star quarterback. <laughs> oh, poor Noah. <laughs> so yes, if he's a great quarterback, you offer that guy, and you you see if you can get him. Who cares? You know, we talked about like Joe Burrows. You know, would you go after a grad transfer? No, uh, Joe Burrows with uh, two years remaining of eligibility. You guys said damn right, go get him. So why not go get a? Would you say he's a five star quarterback, Tyler? He, he's a four star, but he's the number eightieth ranked uh, prospect. So he is on the. Usually, you start seeing five stars around that sixty to fifty range. So he is uh, usually get about 50 to 65 stars. So he's a little bit probably under that cusp. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously a very high four-star. Yeah, and he could be a five-star by the time his senior years are done. So, yeah, go for it. I like it. All right, last call to you, Derek. All right. So uh, you guys know me pretty well and know that I am not a hockey guy whatsoever. However, the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights – in their expansion year, are heading to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I think this is amazing. This has happened one other time in NHL history with the St. Louis Blues back in 1968. The thing is, back in 1968, there were 12 teams, the six original and the six new expansion teams. So one of those expansion teams had to make the Stanley Cup Finals because they were split into divisions this way. So it wasn't because of Stanley, because the St. Louis Blues were so great that year. It was just they were in a league of all expansion teams. So for the Golden Knights to come in their first year and do this, I think it's phenomenal. And it's actually kind of making me kind of want to watch NHL maybe a little bit. That's going to be my question to you. Uh, are you going to watch the, the Stanley Cup? I might. I just might do it just become, you know, view part of history. I think it might be interesting. Teller, what do you think? I, I love playoff hockey. I, I probably I wish I could watch more of it. I, I like NBA playoffs a little bit more, and it usually conflicts. But, no, playoff hockey is very exciting. Uh, and, and this is a cool story. I mean, obviously the travesty that happened out of uh, Las Vegas earlier this year with everything. I just think it's a really cool story, and an expansion team adds to it. Um, I, I am psyched for it, and I hopefully get a chance to watch a couple of these Stanley Cup games. Yeah. All right, last call to me, and my last call is going out to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. So everybody knows that Jim Harbaugh 
loves to take his team on these worldwide tours during the spring. Last year he went to Italy. This year uh, they just got back from France. He just announced that he's going to South Africa for his team. So I want to ask you guys, should the NCAA do anything about this, about programs using this as a recruiting tool to give vacations like this every spring to their players? Tyler? I I do. I don't like it. And you can call it whatever you want, but there are schools with means and schools without means. I think this is a clear um, advantage for schools like Michigan and Nebraska could do it too, but I, I, I don't like it. I don't think it's really fair and competitive field. So as long as we have this, I don't like it. And plus I hate Harbaugh, that pompous asshole and <laughs> anything that he does kind of makes me kind of uh, poo poo on him. Derek. It really don't phase me. I don't care what he does. And what kind of recruiting effort is we're going to South Africa. Like, who's going, hey, I'm going to go play for them. They're going to South Africa next year. Like, that don't sound tell like you a what, good destination to me, I guess. I looked at the the agenda. This kind of looks fun. I'd like to tag along doing the safari and all the other cool stuff. It looked like, it looked pretty cool. Um, all I know is, you know, if, when this uh, Michigan head coaching gig doesn't work out for him here in a couple of years, I think he's going to have a great job as a tour guide. <laughs> so, all Fair right. enough. it's time to get out of here. Be sure to follow the Husker Cuzcast on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. Like us on Facebook. You can find all of our episodes on Podbean and on iTunes. Make sure you check out all the latest for, at uh, huskerhype.com. Uh, on behalf of Derek and Tyler, we want to thank everybody for listening. We won't see you ne- see you back next week. It's Memorial Day week. We're taking the week off to enjoy it with our families and party it up. We'll see you in two weeks. Happy Memorial Day. And as always, go Big Red. <laughs>